Hello, hi. Welcome to Gone Clear. Today we had a discussion which began with Pina Bausch and Chantal Ackerman because Chantal Ackerman made a film about Pina Bausch. Then we talked about the individual. And the collective. And the collective. And we talked about politics and fascism a little bit. And then we ended up with Pasolini. Mm. Talked about his film Teorema from 1968 and about the the representation of sex and desire in in Pasolini and then um, back round in a beautiful circle to the choreography and filmmaking of Pina Bausch and Chantal Ackerman. Our end is our beginning. It's it's brilliant when that happens. Last night we watched uh, Chantal Ackerman's film about Pina Bausch. called One Day Pina Asked. It's a one hour documentary about just showing the, the work and the process of Pina Bausch's theatre um, dance company. Um, I think I, one of my first remarks right after we watched it was, if you were gonna pick any filmmaker in the world to make a film about um, Pina Bausch, mm. I feel like it would be Chantal Ackerman. Mm. Um, it begins with a shot through a doorway of a rehearsal, of a mm. performance. And the performance involves a whole group of people holding hands and running around in circles. And you can just see this small slit of through a door, mm. which is very much like Chantal Ackerman shots, shoots a lot of things through doors. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a way that she often evokes solitude and, and isolation in certain moments. Mm without getting two film studies about it. I think it's such a brilliant way to, to, to open. This is why I think that um, stage is really important in, in, in Pina Bausch and in, in that particular kind of choreography because like, it's about social space and, um, and, uh, and the interruptions and like, uh, inversions and violence that happen in, in social and in public spaces. You know, actually there's a lot of a lot of the space of Bausch is 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 this, like Kontakthof. This is one a huge piece of work by hers that I saw a few years ago in Wuppertal. Is a is a courtyard, and so it's this it's this space where people encounter one another in proximity, and the the the, the looking through the door is like is like it's an observer coming into Bausch, and yes. this, and also that that piece which I've n- I've never seen all of, um, which is come dance with me it's like these people dancing in this like violent regressive circle in the way that like when you're a kid mm. you swing each other around in the playground holding each other's hands and you the there's a um the centripetal force of that is flinging you out from each other and that there's this violent circle in the beginning of the film which keeps breaking up mm. they keep like and it's like i think it's like a game of tag it's like as soon as one person's hand drops, everyone drops, and then uh, whoever's it has to catch as many people as possible, and then the yeah. circle is like re. All this you get from just the slice through the doorway yeah. that Ackerman shows us. So she's not starting in like this kind of theatrical presentation of Bausch's work, which is what Wim Wenders' film about Bausch does. Yes, which... well, Wim Wenders' film is in in three D, which I think is a very theatrical kind of technique, actually. Um, I mean, that's maybe a bit too much of a part of theatre. They're different kinds of theatre, I think. I mean, there's the, the, I, think, I think the sort of proscenium arch 
3, 3D is very much a sort of revival of the, of the proscenium arch mm. theatre idea of like, this is the stage, this but, is the it's, but it's like, it's real because it's 3D. Like, mm. I don't know, it, it seems to me like very, uh, I mean, 3D beyond sort of experimental moving images mm. has died a death, I think, in the mainstream. But uh, what I, I mean, Chantal Ackerman is one of the most cinematic filmmakers. Mm. I, I feel confident using that that word I think mm. there are people who use cinema in a way that is mm. is using the, the tools of cinema in a way that no other medium can mm. can express those things another thing I really appreciated about the way Ackerman treats Bausch in the film is that she lets the scenes play out she doesn't cut there's not a lot of cutting I mean, mm. there's a bit of cutting but like she she focuses on what's happening in a, in a segment of the piece and just the camera is fixed it happens mm. and I think there's always I mean you know there's always a probably a temptation if you're filming dance to to look at it from different angles um, again I'm com- I'm using the vendors film because it's it's so different it's treating the same choreographer so differently but he has multiple cameras on her um, and the, on the on the on the on the ensemble and you really like you really have to let things happen like things happen in Bausch over and over and over and over again to the point of like becoming banal and then the point of becoming erotic and then the point of which becoming like violent and um and Ackerman is so attuned to that in her in her think in her own work that it's like it's such a good it's such a good fit and it gives you but it gives you like a particular version of Bausch's work and 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 she also shoots backstage and and the the the, the dancers being preparing and um, not even preparing, but like it feels like part of the piece. I feel sort of uh, cautious to to fully send for Vim Vender. Yeah, yeah. But I really think that film by him uh, by Vim Vender's actually kind of inhibited me from being enthusiastic about Pina Bausch mm-hmm. in quite a serious way because I didn't, that was my first introduction yeah. to her work. And what he completely misses is the sort of discomfort, the, mm. the, the clashes, the, mm. the kind of the sinister nature of mm. a lot of how it's like it's filmed in such a slick way. It's like mm. and the 3D element, just the intellectual notion of it being in 3D mm. conditions you to experience it as a sort of spectacle. Mm. Whereas I think what Pina Bash's work precisely is not as a spectacle. Mm. I think what it precisely is 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 a kind of like manifestation of of uh, the kind of cacophony of movements that that we don't actually acknowledge mm. and there's something sort of the epic and the unimportant seem to kind of uh, uh, d- dance with each other yeah, yeah. Uh, but in the vendors film it's always like it's always spectacular I mm. think it's always like because the locations are spectacular. The, the colour grading is really deep, you know. Yeah. But actually, everything that's important in Bausch is happening in the very small is the smallest gestures, mm. and like the yeah, the, there's nothing big about it. And we were talking about, weren't we, about the? You said that you thought that um, something compelling about Bausch's approach to choreography was that. You know, 
it's this big ensemble. There's an ensemble, and she she wrote she choreographed big ensemble pieces, but everybody in the company is chosen for their own particular difference. Yeah, I I think this is really. I'm not a huge dance expert, but I I've not really seen anything else where someone has worked with a large group of people and mm. had such a such a lot of individuality mm. with all those different people. Mm. Uh, the general sort of thing I expect from dance is that if there are lots of people, then they will be all swaying in the same direction mm. or doing or being told to kind of hue to or they will collectively they will they will be in uh, not collectively but sort of in community they will be creating some kind of uh, movement mm. and actually uh, I'm really I'm currently sort of thinking and this is a, a detour into something quite abstract but mm. I'm interested in the difference between collective and community mm. because I think like mm. and it can get quite terminological but fundamentally like does a collect is a coll- is a, is a collection of people a collection of people or is it like one thing mm. um, and I think a lot of dance just assumes that more people means bigger thing that's just one thing. Mm. And what I find exciting about um, Pina Bausch, more than just the sort of the politics of the fact that she listened to her dancers and asked them what they've been up to, there's this wonderful bit where this dancer says, I went to America and I learned how to sing a George Gershwin song in sign language. And then he does that and that's part of one of her pieces. Um, but just generally, the, you can just see it in any, any mm. video that has more than three people in it, in mm. the Pina Bausch thing, you know, there is, and your eyes, ca- you know, it's like, it's like, I mean, in the, in, in the least sort of banal way possible, it's like real life, you catch yeah. your eye upon certain particular people. Yeah. And I think that's a really, it's really important to, and, 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 and let's widen it out, let's say, okay, like, you know, to be to be to be great, to be working in the aftermath of fascism and, yeah. and the Holocaust, to be making work that, with large amounts of people, which stresses the the individual mm. in that way, mm. is is radical. And I think the way that, for instance, I was watching a, a little bit of this the Belarus Free Theatre. I can't remember mm. the name of the man who who was who started the Belarus Free Theatre, but it was um, a few years ago, and they 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 were a theatre group in Belarus, and they couldn't perform. They couldn't announce where their performances were, yep. so they performed in secret and they live streamed it. And it would be these very kind of kind of comedic movements and and, and quite Pina Bausch esque sort of uh, mannerisms that were mm. then kind of exaggerated and turned and stopped and started. And and then everyone would leave the stage, and there'd be like a statistic about you know the amount of people who'd been disappeared by mm. the government. Mm. That seems to me like using gesture yeah. in, a, in a really really radical way. I saw it. Yeah, I saw Valerie's. Um, free theatre piece a few years ago and there was a very it was a really wonderful bit at the end where people were sitting in a line and basically doing the same gestures and then with slight variation mm-hmm. and I just I just I have a very strong memory of that image being to do with with exactly what you're talking about about um, about individualness and difference mm-hmm. and within the collective within it was it seemed to me to be a sort of vision of solidarity at the end of this piece a vision of like being with one another without mm. like being imposing subsumed. authoritarianism mm. and conformity <clears throat> upon that and i think that's what you're sort of touching on i think yeah, it's like totally with bausch is like also that she always gave her dancers the freedom i think to 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 make the dance the way they would they would do it mm. So it was all about, I don't know that much about her method, but it seems to me to be all about 
how one would do this anyway. So if you look at, especially when she has these ensemble things where people are going in a circle or a line, repeating mm. the same gesture, often with the hands and the face. The yeah. hands and the face are often being used. If you look at how everyone's doing it, everyone is doing it differently mm. because their bodies are different, yeah. because their personalities are different. Yeah, yeah. But they're in this line of um, thing. And I think, I think this is, you know, well, I, I really like... The, the other thing Ackerman does is just she just lets a tiny bit of herself in about three quarters of the way through the film. A mm. friend or somebody is talking to her about her reception of Bausch. Yeah. And Ackerman says, you know, the first time I saw a Pina Bausch piece, I felt very moved by it. I didn't know why or what it was exactly that was moving me, but it had something to do with happiness. <laughs> and, mm. and, uh, Maybe happy. Maybe maybe what she's identifying is the happiness is something to do with um, being able to be being able to be free with people. Yes. Being able to be self-actualized, if we want to call it that, in a in a collective. And maybe that's what community is, or maybe collective is something more abstract. That I mean, I don't. I would swap it around. Okay. To, or to me. This is partly for. for Sorry, my, I've gone terminological. Yeah, it's a danger. We don't want to go too terminological yeah. because I think you know, some, you just hear a word in a certain context, yeah. and then it will mean the opposite. You know, like, but yeah, I've just been editing this video with Tim Tim Morton, Timothy yeah. Morton, the philosopher, uh, and and a sort of literature professor, and he's um, he sort of has this idea <clears throat> of the um, the whole is always uh, less. Um, than the than the than the parts, mm. uh, which is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a actually sort of ch ch childishly simple. It's like mm. you know, my first finger, my third finger, the signs of aging on my hand, all these things enumerate more things than my hand as a singular thing. But it's a it's a sort of um, so the hand is a sort of collective of all these different mm. qualities. Mm. The point being that um, I think. Morton identifies a, a danger in uh, that I've sort of seen in in, in and it's a, it's a you know it's a, it's a thing that everyone struggles with, but a, a politics that um, that that encourages you know individualism. I think there's a sort of, individualism is a weird sort mm. of word. I I mean I, I I'm an individualist. I I I love my I love Ooh. myself. <laughs> oh, we got there. And I love I love you know my friends and all these people are individuals. They're very different people, mm. and I want to encourage that individualism. That 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 has capitalism has thrived partly because it's understood that need to be individual and has sort of made people feel they're more individual by yeah. buying certain things, whatever you know. Mm. But that desire to be individual is not inherently evil or capitalist or authoritarian. It is actually like the opposite, and it's actually, you know, some form of liberation. I think it comes back to the narcissism thing. Like, sort of people, people love to say that Donald Trump is a narcissist in this sort of way. And then, I mean, you can't say that Donald Trump's a narcissist and then say, oh, you know, we all have to love ourselves, because it's a bit like, well, what, what do you mean by narcissism? Do you mean that narcissism? Do you mean that Trump loves himself too much? I mean, I would say that Trump probably. <clears throat> by having you know a family you know a father who's a huge businessman and yeah. probably been neglected not been listened to been encouraged that to value his own uh, self on yeah. on kind of external grandiose factors yeah. uh, i would yeah it's a, a wounded narcissism um, mm. it's very important that we we understand that self love is actually very different from 
uh, from, nar from what we call narcissism. Narcissism is quite a, a labeling term. It's not very useful. It's like personality disorders. It has a limited use, I think. I mean, maybe also we have to, maybe, maybe there's something that could be realized that actually like some forms of self-love, some forms of self-actualization are not in fact very positive things. So I was thinking about this, also this How phrase, so? well, I was thinking about this phrase, um, you know, you, you can't love anyone before you, in, 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 unless you love yourself. Yeah. Um, I think that loving yourself is, is quite a different process and experience from loving other people. I, they definitely have something to do with one another. I mean, we're, we're talking all around now the, the relationship between the individual and the collective. Yeah. And I want to say something else about that. But um, uh, it's, it's, it's quite possible for people who have very, diff very big problems with themselves. And mm. I know this from my own life. Um, problems which probably prevent them loving themselves in any way that's intelligible to themselves which is which is the way we're talking about right if, yeah. you're, if your self-love isn't self-intelligible then you're not loving yourself mm -hmm. who are capable of being extremely loving extremely caring and giving love and care and actually like the exhortation to love yourself i think is also part of potentially could be part of the kind of capitalist uh, domination of sort of self-realization through not only through stuff but also through self-improvement right the project of self-improvement, which I think is like, I think is horribly pervasive in the society we live in. I, I notice it in myself sometimes. How am I going to improve myself? Um, who so am self I? Self-improvement's different from self-actualization. Right? Yeah, definitely. But it's like, who am I trying to be better for? And and isn't there something in there about being a being like you know? If, I mean, in a very basic sense, if I look at myself in the mirror and I think I'm a bit fat one of the things I start thinking about is the forms of self-improvement that I could undertake on my body. And that's the first thing I think about generally, rather than that I accept that I have this body. And I mean, you know, maybe I'm going off into this whole thing about sort of, um, maybe I'm going a little bit too far into kind of thinking about what self-love and what self-worth and what self-care are. Um, but I, and I think they're all different, but I think that like, I don't know, just, just going back to you talking about somebody like Trump, I think it's, like, I, I think it's perfectly possible for me to not, like, not amateur psychologise somebody who is like a nightmare, mm -hmm. like a political nightmare, because I think, uh, because I think the explanation for, for that isn't that this person does or doesn't love themselves, or even how. Uh, even if they, like, I can't, I can't say whether this person loves themselves, I can't say what kind of love that is, I just... I just know that what they're doing. <laughs> I don't even care why they're doing what they're doing. <laughs> I just don't like what they're doing. But, that, but isn't that where the word evil comes in, right? Like, so you use the word evil when you can't be bothered to try and understand where someone's coming from. I don't think I need. I don't think I need to understand where somebody like that is coming from in order to understand how to defeat the politics of it. I maybe on a personal level, if I had a friend who, I think, if I have a friend who's into like really right-wing ideas or whatever, uh -huh. then it's a personal question and that involves psychology. But I don't. Anyway, I mean, maybe I've gone off a tangent. What I wanted to say mm -hmm. um, on the on the sort of individual collective thing again is that, like, when Ackerman talks about her her strong response to Bausch having something to do with happiness, mm -hmm. I think yes, that is something to do with the way in which people are manifesting themselves as yes. people in, yes. in 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 Bausch's choreography, which is. Um, 
which is which is not often seen in 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 art that shows a large number of people and yeah. i think i want to come back to that because i think that you know you say you're an individualist i think that i think my own personal feelings about being a person my own pe- my own feelings about being a person recently and feeling like realized as a person come from a particular group of people mm-hmm. and come from like having a particular group of people in my life so when Ackerman talks about happiness, I was thinking about when I came back from um, the Plan C Festival uh, the weekend before last and how I felt like really whole mm. because I'd been doing uh, political stuff and I'd been hanging out with poets and been kind of, there'd been like this really nice poetry reading around a campfire and there'd been people who recognised parts of me, yes. different parts of me, but also I'd been existing with them over a weekend in the process of like recognizing and um exploring and facilitating things that were important to them and something about the relationship between these two things mm. made me feel like a like a like a person yeah and it's interesting this concept of wholeness because that's how it felt it felt like i felt i felt really real i felt really real and that's slightly dissipated since but it feels like a it feels like a... But you're saying I, which means there's an individual kind of yeah. thing there. It's yeah, about, yeah, yeah. It's about, the, it's about yourself being... Rec- Obviously, you need to be... Self-love, you know, has to go alongside love from other people. I mean... Yeah, but... I, yeah, and actually, it wasn't really... It wasn't sort of mean to do with being loved. It was to do with happiness. Yeah. As Ackerman says. But being recognised, being understood... Not everyone wants to be understood necessarily, but there's, some, there's <laughs> something... That's a whole other conversation in a way... <laughs> I mean, I, I think that's, I think it's it's a fairly basic human need. Uh, not like I think it's very common yeah. to want to be understood. I, I want yeah. to be understood quite, quite deeply. But um, you know, like when I'm in a club mm. and I'm dancing, oftentimes mm. I'll sort of the best way for me to dance in a club is to find a particular kind of motion. And mm. it's not as simple as saying, "Oh, there's this invisible point, and I'm going to move my arm back and forth mm-hmm. from it." It's more a kind of like uh like a particular gesture like i'll decide there'll be a small moment of intellectual of intellect yeah. when i'm dancing i'll be like okay there's a particular gesture i want to focus on here because of this beat and thinking because of about this your body yeah and i think that gesture and then i stop thinking and when i stop thinking the gesture just keeps moving keeps moving okay. keeps moving keeps moving yeah and then another gesture will come in and there'll be a yeah. sort of like a particular <clears throat> wave and then i'll re- i'll realize that at a certain crescendo or something i'll have to like like lift my leg up in a particular angle and, yeah. and sort of turn around or something you know there'll be some but then I'm kind of what's nice about that is I'm sort of carried it's a sort of I no longer have to sort of um take responsibility for 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 what the what my response to the music yeah. is by which I mean like the beat kind of yeah is is going right right through me into all my muscles and so there's the intellectual choices are no longer there mm-hmm. however I am dancing in like a very particular way. Why do I say that? Because almost every time I go out dancing, someone says to me, oh wow, your dancing was like really, really, usually they say really good, but if they don't say really good, they say like, like that it was a bit unusual or weird or kind of interesting. Yeah. But it's like, it's not just a kind of up and down jumping sort of, you know, swaying. Like if I'm dancing and I'm getting a catharsis out of that, yeah. I'm finding a movement. And I do, when I see Pina Bausch's uh, yeah. choreography, when I see her dances perform, I do feel 
very much like they're doing something that I want to do and try to mm. do when I dance, which mm. is to, to um, and yeah, I'm not a professional dancer. I'm someone mm. who like, you know, has a few G&Ts and goes to the club, but like, you know, like, like, like luxury lifestyle, like a million people. And, you know, <laughs> uh, but it's, yeah, that's, and that's sort of in that end of that, but that's my individual identity coming out through my dance. Yeah. Rather than like, I wouldn't want to be dancing just sort of, in exactly the same way as everyone else in the club. Yeah. And that's I'm, me having, that's me sort of, mm. that's my, my, my only way of being, feeling secure actually in a mm. club is to be dancing in a way that's very much my own way. Mm. And that's where, that's a way in which I feel like my body is going to be, um, my body's going to be felt in the right way. But I, mm. there are certain weird moments where I feel that some people may be like slightly laughing at me or slightly kind of like, yeah. oh, they're doing something a bit different. And it's, it's like, that's kind of like, I have to remind myself not to notice that mm, in a weird mm. way, but it's, that's the moment with the individual and the, the community are kind of at tension. I definitely reached a point a few years ago of like really not giving a fuck what I looked like when I danced. Yeah. And that took, that took 15 years of very intermittent and not very committed levels of going dancing. Yeah. Um, and... And that also, me not giving a fuck, had nothing to do with dance and nothing to do with the kind of the dynamics that occur on a dance floor and everything to do with the dynamics that occur in my body and the rest of my life and the interface between the two things. I mean, for what it's worth, I really like being, I like being around you when you're dancing. I like dancing around you because you make me feel like I'm being given permission (laughs) to do what I want. And I like that. I don't always need it, but even when I don't need it, I like it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And um uh and I think yeah, I think that I think Bausch is also about permission. I think there's a lot which may also have something to do with happiness and liberation as well. So like, happiness, liberation, self actualization. I'm creating a chain here. Full communism. I think uh yeah, I think but I think liberation comes through the the individual pe- feeling understood. Mm. And that's where I think fundamentally, mm. like, uh, if I can, um, if I can very quickly sort of, um, like, mention identity politics mm. and, the, and the historic clash between identity politics and sort of class politics, mm. the reason that a sort of, it, it now seems very obvious to us, but I mean, if you talk to some of my mother's generation, there were mm. like, there were like, yeah, white male Trotskyists who were like, yeah, all right, love, after the revolution. We'll yeah, deal yeah, you with, can have feminism. You know. yeah. And it's important, to, like, there's, there's the obvious thing, obviously, like, you know, that's, that's a reflection of the, of the particular space where power dynamics were at. It's also a reflection of, like, a particular notion of, like, of change. Of the, at that point, people really thought, and, you know, it had something to do with the Soviet Union, people really thought that, that radical change and equality mm. would, would come as a result of everyone's sort of identity being kind of equaled, right? So that you mm. would just kind of, and, and that obviously always meant, sub, always meant subsuming mm. the identities that were less privileged into this mass of like, you know, we are the working class. And mm. so there was never any room mm. for intersectionality. Mm. So, and, it, and you still see it now when people kind of uh, justifiably make make a make a noise about yeah. identity politics that the blowback always comes in the form of you know this isn't this isn't important yeah. because 
there's the wider struggle. Yeah, yeah. And this was the, the conversation that I had, the argument that I had with Bob Geldof, where he was like, well, you know, <laughs> well, you know, he was like, you know, he was, you know, he was like, uh, you know, like trans rights aren't important because it's, it's like, it's marginal. And it's like, and I had to explain to him why a marginal identity might actually tell us a lot about, about the rest of society and about, you know, not only do these people matter, but also their struggle is our struggle in all these other different ways. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, and that's, that, that's why it's important, but it's, it's, it, the reason why it's important to value the individual experience, mm. and, and this is something that goes into radical pedagogy, mm. shout out to Bell Hooks and, mm-hmm. and, and Teaching to Transgressors, the book I've been reading, which like, it has a very, very subtle understanding of like, the importance of valuing experience. Fundamentally, yeah. when I went to school, like, no one, it was never thought that my experience as a student should be part of, of the conversation. Yeah. And, the, and the only time yeah. I really enjoyed school was sixth form college where I got to do sociology. Somebody asked you what you thought. And people thought, yeah, people asked <laughs> us our opinions and, and, and we came up with all kinds of opinions that some yeah. of which were wrong. I just had plenty of shit in my sociology yeah, class yeah, that yeah. I like, strongly disagree that's with now. Fucking, that's a learning process. But you have a space to, you yeah, have a space yeah. to do that and, and, and you have a space around, luckily I was at a very, um, very mixed sixth form college, people from different class backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds. Uh, uh, yeah, very you know mixture of, of uh, sexualities. Um, so it was very uh, it was a very good environment to to, to value individual experiences and. But also, you could have had a learning environment where all those people were present and actually their voices didn't get heard, and yeah. it wasn't a good environment because mm. it's not just about who's there, but it is about yeah. who's there, but it's also about who facilitates yes. that yeah. you know that learning and who and what kind of. Uh, conduct is being. I really like the concept of conduct. We we'll talk about it another time, but I like. I've been using the word a lot recently. So my secondary school, we had conduct cards. Oh yeah, no, that's a whole other kind of conduct. Um, but the conduct of a place, which I think, what I mean by the conduct is like something that's quite ineffable. Um, but it, like, it's like when people talk about ethos, but I don't really like ethos. It's like that. But um, yeah, the conduct of the learning environment. Um, oh man, there's so many things I want to like. Go in, go into all that with. Just, I want to do a shout out to the um, the, the rad French people who are just getting really angry at the new um, Macron Labour law Lazy proposal. United, what's it called? Uh, we are. I think it's like we are the feckless or something. He said something in a, He said something in a conference about um, about people. Yeah, people being people being lazy and. Um, uh, what well, there's there's another word that isn't lazy, but it's basically a synonym. But he basically said that and. Um, but it's really nice because, like, I mean, obviously some of the main French trade unions, I think, have gone down the line of, no, we actually work really hard for shit pay, which is, like, a valid argument as much as it goes. But also I really like the people... This is... I'm thinking about this because of identity. Like, I really like the people who've been like, yeah, we're the fucking lazy people. <laughs> like, and there's this woman... I saw this picture on The, on the Guardian. This is woman that's had, like, a sign around her neck saying, yeah, I'm one of the lazy ones. And it's also, like, ironic because then you're demonstrating, you're demonstrating yeah. your lazy identity. Also, your right to be lazy, which goes back to, like, you know, classic kind of anarchism. Yeah. And, um, and ideas about, you know, um, luxury and leisure and, and, and rest, which are really, It's really also important. dragging the argument. It's dragging the argument into your territory. Dramatically really, towards your territory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rather it's, than being like, I do work hard, actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, what it's, it's, it's signifying. It's like, it's being like, yeah, you use this insult. Okay, I'm going to take it and make it mine. Yeah. 
but it's also like very I think I don't know I haven't thought about where it could go but I just wanted to be like I really like these people who are being like <laughs> yes with the lazy one I think um, it could cause I'm not trying to it's really sorry it's really good also for like um uh, politics that reject ableism as well yeah. like I think in the UK people like disabled people against the cuts have been you know working really hard on this kind of stuff and like the disability rights movement such as it is in the UK is very small but like it's such a it's a strong critique of work right there to be constantly like made workless and made useless by the way that the state construes work and productivity mm. and like so, so so I like that politics because like when you're opening up that identity of being a lazy person you're also saying like and what if I can't work yeah you know which I think is very important you know but yeah that's what I was thinking Shout about out to the factors. yeah I was thinking about that. it's just what you were saying about identity politics and what the uses of identity suddenly made me think about that like it's strategic it's like okay yeah. this week in order to to get some social power, to get some power in the society, we're going to actually use this word and, yeah. and tell you what it really means. <laughs> and I think that's really powerful. I think you're on the front foot when you do that. And I think you're quite often on the back foot when you're like, actually, we work 35 hours a week yeah. for minimum wage. Can we have £10 an hour, please? Yeah. It ignores a whole load of other problems. Um, can I ask about desire? Because we've talked about Ackerman in terms of like gesture and the collective and the individual and happiness. Yeah. But so we've, we've mentioned, we've touched on the like the darker forms of... Can I speak about theorem? Yeah. So last night, Gloria and myself watched, uh, with a friend of ours, we watched this Chantal Ackerman, uh, Pina Bausch film. The night before, <clears throat> I've got a slightly sore throat. We watched the... Theorem. Theorema. Theorema. <laughs> Uh, the night before last we watched Teorema, uh, which is a film we both watched a while ago. I think we mm. both not quite remem- remembered it that Late well. Like teenaged them. Yeah, I think we both watched it as teenagers and been like, okay, I like the volcanoes, but yeah, <laughs> what? should just give a quick summary of this film made by uh, Pasolini in 1968. Yes. The plot is, there's this hot young man played by Terence Stamp. He somehow becomes a guest, we don't know how, in the house of a wealthy industrialist in Milan. Yes. And um, proceeds to seduce or have romantic sexual relationships, we can talk about what that is, with everybody in the household. Yeah. And this causes a chain of events for everybody. Everyone in the house experiences, like, uh, to their surprise, I think, uh, yeah, like a, 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 a... a sexual connection yeah with with Terence Stamp's character so uh, the, there's, the boy the stuff about gesture is quite interesting because you you just repeatedly see the way that he just completely has patience for them mm. in a very unique way which I think is like uh, possibly like one of my favorite ways of experiencing desire and experiencing that moment where two people like start to touch each other um where he just kind of like he doesn't like launch himself at them but he just sort of he sort of sees that they're they're a little bit um turned on yeah (laughs) but they're sort of especially with the the men that he seduces and they have this it's just it's not made a huge thing of but because they're um because they're, they're, they're straight, it's a, something of a surprise to them that they're, they're 
getting turned on by this guy. Actually, that's an assumption. We don't know that those people are straight. I mean, one of them's a married man. Yeah. But I, I don't just, think it's important to the... I, I don't know whether it's important to the film what their prior ex, pre-existing sexuality no, is. I, I feel like that, everything in this film happens in this kind of I bubble. just think the son, the way that he gets out of bed and then gets back in and... I just oh, yeah, think, yeah, I yeah. just think that's... Anyway, that's just a, an he's awakening. A t- I mean, he's a young teenager who's possibly experiencing desire for the first time yeah. full stop. That's yeah, yeah, also yeah. a possibility in that. Uh, but he will have been told all his life that that, of course. that you will ex- you will experience this desire purely for, for women. women. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so yeah, there's a thing about there's a whole load of stuff about gesture. I think the Pina Bausch and, and theorem are really good things to put together. But also, what he what the second half of the film after Terence Stamp's character leaves the house where he seduced everyone involves all of them going on a particular journey. Now the daughter mm. becomes catatonic, which mm-hmm. isn't isn't too great. But peak um, the father let's leave the father to later yeah. the the mother starts like just driving around driving around picking up men. just cruising great a brilliant like queer inversion yeah there. I've, I, that's the bit where you're like oh man Pasolini's <laughs> so gay uh, but the, like in a good way <laughs> obviously gay as in happy gay as um, in happy gay as in I know how to cruise yeah yeah she totally does the son discovers how to paint like Francis Bacon but not really and has this weird sort of sort of experimental he's always admired Francis Bacon but he's never had the confidence to sort of be as bold as Francis Bacon Mm. and he sort of starts painting and then he in this wild way and then he kind of he has this realization where he realizes that what he's been painting is a bit crap and he sort Mm. of enjoys that realization he has this moment where he's like oh I'm an idiot yeah and that's like really great yeah he's like I'm a real shit and then he starts making art Really yeah. good, good art. I don't think it matters whether it's good or not, but he makes... It's entirely not wild. relevant how good the art is. No. What's relevant, I think, is that he learns play and he learns to lose, to lose an inhibition. Yeah. This, because what he does is he, he looks at the Francis Bacon photos yeah. because they're Francis Bacon, yeah. because they're like, you know, approved of paintings, yes. very good, famous paintings. Yeah. He doesn't look, he doesn't find the Francis Bacon within himself, right? Yeah. He doesn't find the kind of until chaos loses, and, the, and, the, uh, and the eroticism until... Until Terence Stamp comes along and seduces him, yeah, and then and then he loses it. But I think it's the loss. Yeah. So I think for all of these people, and and they all articulate like they, Fasolini sets up these scenes where the people tell that all the family members, I think maybe apart from the father, tell tell the boy how him leaving is going to make them mm. feel. Terence Stamp's character, yeah. Yeah. The, Wouldn't yeah. call him the boy because there's the, it, the son. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but in the first scene, he's referred mm. to as just a boy. Oh yeah. Um, and none of them have names. Um, they all have these confrontations with him where they say, you know, basically, you've brought me to life but also broken my heart. I can't or, live without you. I can't live without yeah. you, but I'm going to have to live without you. And then it's like how they all, how they all, um, how they all deal with living without him. Um, and, and actually, I find, the, I find the, the maid, who's the first person he seduces, mm-hmm. the maid's um, transformation is the most, I find the most moving, the most intriguing, because she becomes a saint, basically, yeah. and she performs miracles. Yeah. And um, I mean, this is obviously like a big part of Pasolini is like this kind of, this inclusion of, of um, Catholic or other spirituality as, as a fact, like as a fact of life in his films. So she, so she, she cures this little boy of his horrible skin disease. She goes back to the farm where she, she grew mm. up, as far as I can tell. 
she sits on a bench for days, she, she cures the boy of his scrofulous disease and then near the end of the film she's upraised, floating above the roof of the barn with her arms out yeah. in an imitation of Christ. Which is like, in like, it, in most other films that would just be t- a bit too much to deal with. <laughs> somehow, in, somehow he makes it work. And, um, and I'm not so interested in talking about why he makes it work, but, but that, I think that was the moment, that's the moment where I'm like, she, she was like that all along, but having to be a housekeeper meant that she couldn't be like that. And then she realised that she didn't have to be a housekeeper. I mean, so I don't know, sorry, I kind of think like, I feel like the way we're describing this film, it feels like incredibly bourgeois, <laughs> because it's like... Because and, and, and of economic relations, that means that she probably will have to keep being a housekeeper. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, I don't, and he's not interested in that. And I, I'm like, I would be interested in that. But I still there's something I there's but a Pazzo, huge amount I get about he's talking about the possibility film. of liberation and he yeah. talks about the possibility of liberation for individuals in a very yeah, individual yeah, yeah. way yeah. through love for yeah. themselves which is expressed unleashed through the love the care the patience yeah. of Terence Stamp's character you see you talked about him having patience but I'm not sure it's quite that I think it's attention okay I think it's attention attention I think it's like sorry, I mean like attention yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. he pays them attention yeah, yeah. He's, he's like attentive to them, even when he's like, even when he's not looking at them, or even if he's like not interacting with them in any way, and then as soon as like, and he and he's almost, I mean, he's almost psychic. Like he knows, he he, he knows when she goes into the when the maid goes into the kitchen to try and kill herself, mm. that she's done it, yeah. that she needs him, and and then so. I'd, but what's the difference between being psychic and simply taking people at face value? Because I feel like there's a sort of a, a thing going on where the, the middle class bourgeois sort of identity yeah. in that film is this kind of ironic, uh, neurotic sort of like they've created a whole language for mm. themselves where mm. they to, to stop them from communicating how they really feel. Mm. And he comes along as an outsider mm. and simply, I think I I don't think he know, I don't think it's a psychic ability no. where he can see that she's about to kill herself. I think he can just see that she's unhappy. She's in and distress. That, and she's in and distress. He, and he's just got a, a sense for people, a set, a, a, an empathy which is just so powerful yeah. and so physical yeah. that he's able to identify that. And that's what makes him uh, able to uh, seduce her. But it's a kind of, it's very healing seduction, but it's also a transformation that's, that's a very, yeah. Mm. I love the, I love like the ambiguity of sex in Pasolini as well. That like, it's always latently both like, often is latently both violent and loving and transformative and potentially actually kind of Im- imprisoning or it's like immiserating. There's something like, like he doesn't, um, he doesn't sort of, it seems to me that he doesn't expressionistically layer anything much over the, the, the fact of bodies colliding. Mm. And I wonder whether that, I think that has something very strongly to do with, with queerness and, and outsiderness in, in, in the society that he was living in. I mean, I know much has been made of Pasolini's gayness, but it seems to me like just as important to talk about his gayness as like Genet's gayness, for example. Mm. It's like, seems to be like absolutely, just as actually Catholicism is like absolutely central to the making of this work. Um, and it's like, it's like, it's like what happens in, in, in sex in Pasolini. I was thinking about this because I was watching the Arabian Nights um, version that he made um, the night before is that like it just it just is yeah <laughs> like it just is 
and bodies just are and they just do and then of course there are all these consequences but he doesn't um i don't want to use the word romanticize but what what i mean is like there's nothing overcoded you know i really hate i obviously obviously hate sex scenes in films where like suddenly there's like string music and oboes <laughs> and soft focus and mm. suddenly you're supposed to un- understand this as like oh, yeah. there's something like transcendentalism that happens and in Pasolini, it's always like the opposite. It's like the, the, the weirdest, the awkwardest, the most like documentary, maybe almost, <laughs> representations that happen in Pasolini films are when like two people get naked or they don't yeah. obviously get naked, but they're like, there is a... Or someone reveals an, their vulva or something. Yeah, there's an implied act of, of um, I guess, usually of penetration of some kind. Like, and it's like, boom. It's like, but this is not this. But like we don't need to say it's not this. We don't need to like insult the way that we look at each other or the way that cinema looks at people to say this is something. This is meaningful, guys. Yeah, I mean, I think sex is. There are sort of there's the aesthetic dimension of the sex and the and the uh, and the feeling dimension yeah. of sex are quite you know they, have, they operate in quite different ways. And I think mm. as a, as a filmmaker, you're kind of you're asked and or obliged or you sense the need to sort of express the feeling. If you're mm. doing if you're doing like a, a a drama film and there needs to be a sex scene, mm. then you're sort of you, you, you don't want to sort of I think the notion of pornographic sex mm. is is like it's catering towards a very particular I mean it's catering towards someone masturbating in general generally mm. speaking, but it's catering towards it, it's it's more removed and more like there's a very it's it's very even though there's like the point of view camera is a common trope but it's mm. like it's an idea of a particular thing being got and and it's a much more con- the pornographic uh lens is much more conducive to sort of power dynamics and stuff mm. whereas i think what pasolini does when he uses sex is 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 this kind of like um acceptance like the embarrassment sort mm. of disappears mm. in a way mm. because i think there's a lot of a lot of the way that when you grow up you know, as a teenager sex is explained to you through your friends through <laughs> these things like oh you know she should be shaving that or these ideas mm. about like how people's bodies should be mm. which then there's, mean, a, there's a numinous normative yeah. horizon which is never quite explained to you which is like explicitly. the enemy of self-love it's yeah. like completely doesn't allow you to self-actualize yourself uh, the, the the truth is that everyone looks a bit weird when they're naked, um, and and like I think Pasolini kind of. Maybe al- we should do like an agony arm column. <laughs> I, th- <laughs> Sorry. I think uh, I think Pasolini allows for this whilst also um, whilst never fetishizing it, but simply kind of showing a um, a liberatory form of, of acceptance and healing through sex. I mean, everybody I've ever seen fuck in a Pasolini film is extremely hot. Yeah. <laughs> Just putting it out there. <laughs> there may be a bit of a problem with what you're saying. How? No, because they, they still look ridiculous when they have yeah, sex. Yeah, yeah, that's true, actually, yeah. yeah. Even hot people look ridiculous. Of course they do. What, um... Because it's about the, the feeling is what's going on. Yeah. So you don't, you don't, you don't like, have sex and then look at a mirror and next to the bed and think, oh, yeah, this is great. Don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Awkward. I wanted to ask about... Um, Moving swiftly on. <laughs> I wanted to ask about um, about how desire is expressed in in, in Bausch and maybe about we've the got conne- five minutes. Okay, about the connection um, between. Um, so I 
maybe this is because of this is because of the way we're talking we've been talking about these things is that the the scene at the end of um je lui tu elle is it je lui tu elle je tu il elle je tu il elle by chance my french prepositions messed up um one of her where, early films where where two women um have sex with each other is like thinking about that scene we were talking about that scene last night is very it's in some ways quite similar to the way that Pasolini just depicts sex and is also yeah. some way similar to the way that Bausch Bausch's work is is centered on a repetitive gesture and not only that and I'm thinking particularly of her piece Cafe Muller of the way in which um touch and like touch that is about desire um which perhaps all touch is uh, is constantly in this uh paradoxical flux between like attraction and repulsion between putting on and taking away between mm. being between above against away from broken Bausch's work cycles through again, these quite a lot don't disconnected they? yeah and Bausch's trope with a with a couple is often for them to be embracing in different ways touching each other in different ways yeah. and then pushing away pushing away Withdrawing. and then that motion is speeded up mm. And in Cafe Muller, I think it's like the best example of it. It's like this couple running towards each other, embracing. Um, the man picks the woman up. She falls down. And then, it, and then she comes back to him again. And it starts happening slowly. And then it gets faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. Until their bodies are in this kind of motion which you've never seen bodies in mm -hmm. before. And it's almost like a futurist painting or something. It's like all the gestures are mapped onto each other in a like, way that like the it's almost like the camera is running at a certain number of frames per second and the frames per second, second speed up so actually I think and this is a nice circularity I think Bausch's work is very cinematic in this context and I think that Bausch's representation of desire has that that cutting mm. which is exactly to do with this paradox of, mo of, mo of motion of movement of touching yeah uh, falling away and becoming part of again. The fact that you are two separate people and you're yeah. sort of in, yeah. in sex you're, and in sort of linkages of any kind, you're kind of reconciling yourself with a separateness. Yeah. Whilst a, a connection is attempting to happen. Yeah. Which I think is kind of like the, the tension between the individual and the. We've gone clear. <laughs> so beautiful. Oh, we've reached the synthesis. Ah, uh, thank you. Thanks, um, that was a really great chat.